Welcome to Iron Rhetoric with your intrepid host, Pastor Brett McAtee. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown, standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is your friendly host, Pastor Brett McAtee from Charlotte Christ the King Reformed Church here in the burgeoning metropolis of Charlotte, Michigan. Rumor was that Bruce Wayne's family came from Charlotte, Michigan. Um, well, that would have been before he was Batman. But then they uh, they moved to uh, Gotham City from Charlotte, and Charlotte still has a plaque up where the uh, Waynes used to live. Anyway, be that as it may, we're glad to, to be here and trust that Christ is blessing you. Um, our goal here is that we might think Christ's thoughts after him. Um, we're going to look at uh, cultural Marxism today. Um, I have gazillions of posts on cultural Marxism on Iron Inc. I don't know how many I have. Uh, it's been one of my hobby horses going back at least 15 or 20 years, a long time. Uh, I've been reading and reading and reading and um, trying to get my head around around it. Um, it's also uh, kind of convenient because it's, it's, it's easily an a- analyzed from a worldview perspective. But tonight we want to start off with looking at cultural Marxism through, uh, by quoting Dr. Harold O.J. Brown. Um, this is from Powers, Principalities, Spiritual Forces Charging Towards the, the Dies Array, Day of Wrath. Is, uh, that's the Latin for the Day of Wrath. Uh, Dr. Brown has since uh, gone to be with Christ. Uh, he was a Reformed writer, spent some time ministering in America, but also in Europe. Uh, was an editor for Chronicles Magazine for a long time. And I found most of the stuff I've read by him to be excellent. His book on heresies, for example, if you want to get your mind around uh, the early church her- heresies, and that's good to do because they always just keep popping back up again in different clothing. Then you want to get that book by Dr. Harold O.J. Brown titled Heresies. Anyway, this is what uh, Dr. Brown has to say with our beginning quote. He says, quote, Since the end of World War II, American society has been suffering decomposition and deconstruction. Consider what we have come to in seven decades. The distinctiveness of marriage has been abolished in Bayard versus Einstein. Prayer and Bible reading in schools has been stamped out in Abington and Shemp. The mother's womb has become the most dangerous place for a baby, Roe versus Wade. The rights meant the duties of fathers and parents of minor girls have been voided. Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood versus Danforth. Divorce has become easier than marrying. The Ten Commandments have been banned from public view. And now the natural distinction between male and female is being abolished. Goodridge, Lawrence, etc., uh, the Pledge of Allegiance is forbidden. The Boy Scouts are under attack, and Christmas carols are banned. Pornography is everywhere. The structure of American society is being demolished brick by brick. Within a few short years, Americans will have reached the liberty desired by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the abolition of every particular dependency. This is what Hannah Arndt called the atomistic mass, a precondition for the establishment of totalitarianism. Again, that was Dr. Harold O.J. Brown, and you can hear in the quote that this is, uh, this is dated um, because he says the natural distinction between male and female is being abolished. 
It was only beginning when he wrote this. I think this is from, I don't want to guess when it's from, but uh, where we're at now is far further down the slope than when Dr. Brown wrote this. Now, looking at this quote, people can believe that this all happened by coincidence, uh, happenstance. And there is truth in the idea that cultural wreckage doesn't have to be minutely orchestrated and conspired towards when the people as a whole no longer recite to themselves why they do the things that they do or what the meaning is in their traditions. When people forget why those who went before believed it was a good idea to be married before having babies, and naturally they're going to be more prone to believe the new elites who tell them that marriage is an option. When people forget why those who went before them thought that killing their offspring was a bad idea, naturally they're going to be more inclined to believe the new school that teaches that choice is what matters most. When people forget why their culture was the way it was, when they forget why the bounty markers were placed where they were, then they're going to be much more sanguine about removing the bounty markers and placing them in places where their forebears would never have placed them. Still, despite this observation remaining completely true, that doesn't mean that along the way cultural gatekeepers didn't have a particular agenda that they were consciously pursuing that has led us to this time and to this place. Legion are the corrupt schools of thought that have led us to this place. One could name, for example, Dewey's instrumentalism. One could name legal positivism. One could name existentialism. One could name analytic psychology. All of these have contributed to the slide that Dr. Brown mentions. One that doesn't get a deal, a great deal of playtime, although that's changing. Um, and this one is perhaps as important as all those named is uh, the Frankfurt School of Thought. The Frankfurt School originated in post-World War II Germany and was dedicated to examining why the classical Marxist theory failed. In other words, they looked over the landscape and they saw that what Marx had attempted to accomplish uh, hadn't come to pass. Uh, World War I was a, a, a key pivotal point for them and the failure of World War I to uh, socialize the world. Um, and it didn't happen, and so... They understood that Marxist theory had believed that the proletariat would rise up and throw off the oppression of the bourgeois. And yet the working class, the proletariat, during World War I, marched off and savagely fought one another in defiance of Marxist class theory. And this failure pushed some men into asking the question why and then coming up with answers. Answers other than classical Marxism. Now we have to under I have to understand here that Classical Marxism typically does not like cultural Marxism. They see it as a deviation. Um, they, it's an in-house battle, um, maybe akin to uh, Arminians and Calvinists. You know, somebody from the outside might look at that and say, well, you guys are all Christians. What's the problem? But, but we know that there's all the difference in the world between Calvinism and Arminianism, even though everybody wants to label that all Christian. In the same way, the classical Marxists and the cultural Marxists have an in-house fight going on. But at the end of the day, I'm going to try to advance the case that it's all Marxists, uh, no matter which way you slice it up. Uh, two men working independently one another happened upon the same answer as to why the classical Marxist theory failed. According to Hungarian Marxist Gheorghe Lukács and Italian Marxist Antonio Gramsci, the reason that the proletariat failed to coalesce together 
with the rise of World War One was the baleful influence of Western culture. Lukács and Gramsci determined that if key components of Marxist utopian teleology were to be arrived at, then Western culture, largely shaped as it was by Christian categories, would have to be undone. While Marx had insisted that everything must be interpreted through economics and an oppressed oppressed class, economically oppressed class, Lukács and Gramsci realized that everything must be interpreted through culture and oppressed interest groups. Right? So we have to understand here that what Mark, when Marx looked at man, he saw him as homo economicus, man, um, the economist, or man, um, the, the being committed to his economic origins. And Marx, seeing that economics, or believing that economics was the key leverage point, attacked the whole idea of, of economics. Um, he attacked the whole idea of labor. He attacked the whole idea of, of capital in general. Uh, he, ta- he attacked uh, the, the, the whole notion of property. But we have to understand something at this point. Yes, it's true that Marx saw that as the pivotal point, but it was only penultimate in his thinking. His thinking was not geared towards economics he was not primarily an economist. Marx was primarily a theologian. And what he was trying to do ultimately was not just change the economics. There was something that was beyond that. The economics was just the penultimate. The ultimate was he wanted to create a new Soviet man, a new Marxist man. Uh, he wanted to create a new socialist man. And he understood that in order to do that, in order to create this new socialist man, the way he believed it had to be done is he had to go after economics because he believed that, that that property, that capital, that labor, that all these dynamics, he believed that that's what, that's what made man man. And so he went after that because he was convinced that if he could undo that, then he could basically denature man, denude man, nude maybe nudify, if I was going to create my own word. He would nudify man so that then... A man could be set against the backdrop backdrop that Marx wanted to create with his um, with his new world order thinking. So we have to understand that key component because when the cultures Marxists start rushing in to change Marx, we have to understand their goal, their ultimate goal is still the same. Their ultimate goal is to change man. Um, now, they chose a different penultimate tool, a different point of leverage, whereas Marx had chosen economics to be his leverage point, whereas Marxists saw, saw man as being homo economicus, the culture Marxists saw the leverage point was culture. And they saw man as um, homo adherens, man the worshiper. And the connection between uh, culture and man the worshiper is this idea that culture is defined as theology externalized. Now, I can't tell you that I've, I've read any of the cultural Marxists that made the connection I just made there, but they did understand that if they wanted to change man so that he would come into this Marxist reality that Marx was always aiming at, then the way to go about that was not merely and only by attacking economics, so economics was still in the game, so to speak, but what they had to go after is they had to go after culture. And I'm adding to this now that when they went after culture, they got it right because when they went after culture, what they were really doing was going after theology since 
culture is nothing but the outward manifestation of a people's inward beliefs. And so they went after culture, that is Gramsci, that is Lukács, that is uh, the Frankfurt School, um, Horkheimer, Marcusa, uh, any number of, Eric Fromm was another one, any number of, of names. They went after um, culture. Indeed, one of their um, lesser-known chaps, a uh, chap name, I think it was Willie Musenberg. I think I got that name right. Um, he said, uh, we're going to make Western culture stink. All right? And this encapsulates uh, the mindset of the cultural Marxists. They understood if they were going to defeat uh, Western man, uh, Western categories, then that was not going to happen through the, the proletariat of, of the workers. They would have to create a new proletariat that uh, would be amenable to their siren call. And so what happens is that they, they not only change the emphasis from economics to culture, as the leverage point whereby they're going to change everything, where they're going to denudify man, where they're going to um, peel him away from his his Western context. So what they decided to do is they had to create another proletariat. Um, they were going to build a new proletariat. And the proletariat would now be drawn not so much from the workers of the world uniting, but they would build a new proletariat and what by proletariat, we're talking about the people who would do would who would be the rank and file revolutionaries. The new proletariat would be comprised of feminists, perverts, minorities, and uh, academia academians. Um, now, again, that's generally speaking. I want to make that very specific. We're talking generally speaking. That's who the new proletariat is, and so they recruit. They recruit. And they get this new proletariat that's comprised of a new oppressed class because before they tried to convince the the workers, the proletariat, that they were oppressed by the bourgeois. But you still have the same oppressing going on, but now it's the people that are in the positions of of power, uh, the positions of uh, what we would here to have for called normalcy, that are oppressing um in many cases, that which is abnormal. Feminism, the perverts. Now, the minorities, um, they become part of the proletariat because the cultural Marxists convince them um, that, it's, that it's the white Christian that has oppressed them through the ages. And so they become part of that proletariat. And that, we should just insert here, is easily proven by the idea of just looking at the voting numbers. If you look at how minorities vote in elections in America, you will see that they vote consistently, generally speaking, for the left. And so um, minorities, not universally speaking, but generally speaking, are part of the vanguard of this new proletariat. And this is what's used in order to, um, in order to bring about the new socialist man. Uh, and so they've replaced the idea of economics, and now they've got, they've got other categories. They use race as one of their categories. They use the queering of America as another one of their categories. Uh, they use um, male patriarchy as another one of the oppressing classes on, on, on uh, feminists. 
And this is all to the end of overthrowing uh, Western civilization in favor of building up a utopian order that's defined by these Marxist categories. So all this is to say that classical Marxism and cultural Marxism, while they have internecine wars themselves and fight among themselves, at the end of the day, they're still doing the same work. They may be a, a, a different uh, a different species, but they're all belong to the same genus is the idea here. So this is why cultural Marxism... Um, remains the the worldview that's the most dangerous right now to biblical Christianity because what it's doing is it's changing the cultural context. Uh, it's 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 stripping away uh, previous categories by which men understood themselves, um, so that it's it's like a Hollywood movie set. Uh, what the cultural Marxists are doing is they're 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 changing the set, and when the set gets changed out. Um, and a new set is is put up, then the costumes that the people wore in the previous set no longer make any sense. It's like going from a pirate movie, and all of a sudden all the pirate paraphernalia is changed out, and now we're in an antebellum uh, 1845 movie. All right? Uh, well, now everybody that's dressed in pirate gear no longer fits in, and that's what the cultural Marxists are doing. They're They're changing the backdrop. And now we have to interject this. They're doing this. They're changing the backdrop, as I said, to build this this new Soviet man, um, this new socialist man. And they're using all of this white uh, this uh, attack on whiteness, this, this attack on uh, people being homophobic, this attack on patriarchy. They're they're doing all this to the end of achieving what classical Marxism did not achieve and could not achieve. So um, we have a new leverage point where it was economics before it's now culture. We have a new proletariat where, where, whereby before in classical Marxism it was the workers, and now it's um, the perverts, the academians, uh, the feminists, and minorities. And this is all to the end of pulling down the oppressors, and guess who the oppressors are? Originally, the oppressors were the bourgeois, right, in classical Marxism. Now the oppressors are Christian white men. That's the oppressor class. And you have to understand that everything that's going on in terms of uh, attacking white men, attacking um, straights, attacking patriarchy, that all that's going on is really a proxy war. It's a proxy war to roll off Jesus Christ from his throne. So that's what culture Marxism is doing, is it's, it's, it's seeking to roll Christ off his throne because he's the one that's given us all the norms that we take for granted. I mean, these, these large norms, patriarchy, these large norms, man goes with a girl, girl goes with a man, they get married, they have babies, right? Uh, the family. They're, they're, they're seeking to pull down these norms, and then they're saying, you know, it's all against the white man. We hate the white man. No, it's not. that's not really what this is all about. This is really all about we hate Jesus Christ. And the reason that they're attacking the white man, the reason that they're attacking straight, the reason they're attacking the patriarchy is that all of that was created by Christianity. 
So really, this is all an attack, this cultural Marxism. You have to think of it in terms of, of religions. It is it's religious warfare. It's worldview warfare. And the key person that's being attacked is the magnificent, ascended, sitting at the right hand of the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why this is so so dire, why all good men should should have their uh, faces face toward the enemy. Uh, this is why the church uh, should be speaking the way that I'm speaking and much more polished, I'm sure, in their pulpits to warn their people and to tell their people this is a danger. And if we don't stop it, it's going to rule everything over everything, including the church. And we're already seeing it succeeding in the church. Um, just the idea of putting women in the pulpit is a victory for cultural Marxism. Um, um, the idea of suggesting side B sodomy, that's a victory for cultural Marxism. Um, the idea of uh, uh, detesting patriarchy and, and, and talking about um, women and men roles, um, that's cultural Marxism. And our church is in the West is rife with it today. Well, we got to this point because, um, as we said, two men working independently of one another happened upon uh, the same answer. And the answer uh, to the failure of why the proletariat didn't coalesce was the baleful influence of Western culture. But when we say that, keep in mind that Western culture is what it is because of what? You already know the answer. Pastor doesn't ask hard questions. Western culture is what it is because of Christianity. Lukács and Gramsci determined that if key components of Marxist utopian teleology were to be arrived at, then Western culture, largely shaped as it was by Christian categories, would have to be undone. While Marx had insisted that everything must be interpreted through economics in an oppressed class, Lukács and Gramsci realized that everything must be interpreted through culture and oppressed interest groups. And that's why we're where we're at today in cultural Marxism. We go on to observe that while traditional Marxists appealed to Marx's later writings, the school that later became known as cultural Marxism or neo-Marxism or Western Marxism or the Frankfurt School, all of these are synonyms, um, they appealed to Marx's earlier writings. This Frankfurt School, beginning in 1923, dedicated itself to reinterpreting Marx from economic categories into cultural categories, as we've noted. Uh, here are some of the luminaries of that school. Uh, we already mentioned Georgi Lukács, Herbert Marcusa, Theodore Ardono, uh, Gramsci, um, though he was riding away in a Mussolini jail. And these chaps and others set themselves to the task of de-Christianizing the West. What should not be missed here is that these men realize that success lies in waging a successful theological war. And while they may not have to put it in such terms and realizing that Western culture must be overturned before Marxist goals could be realized, they were in essence recognizing that the theology that made the West must be crushed if the new world order was to be realized. Theodore Ardono, for example, reveals, in his, reveals this mindset in his book, The Authoritarian Personality. A huge seller, a bestseller, especially on the university campus when it first came out. Um, they, they created a, uh, something they called a fascist scale in that book. 
and then they would give you a, like a bit of a test. And if you scored, you know, X amount, then, you know, you were a fascist. And the fascist type things were man is the head of the house, uh, men and women go together. You know, those are the things that they were counting a fa- fascist. And the worst thing you could do, the worst thing in the world that could be the case um, is was being a fascist. But, of course, they're, they were defining all the categories themselves. In that book, Adorno listed parenthood, pride in one's family, traditional Christianity, adherence to tra- traditional gender roles towards sex, and the love of one's own nations as pathological phenomena that was indicative of fascism. Now, when you cook the books that way, when you when you were able to introduce your bias in that way, and again, these were this was a university university used textbook, you were able to change a whole generation uh, in, in the way that they thought about what was traditional Christian categories or traditional Western culture. In order to achieve this undoing of the West with this pathological phenomena of parenthood, pride in one's family, Christianity, adherence to tr- traditional gender roles towards sex and love of one's own nation, one insight that they happened upon was the necessity to do the long march through the institutions. And again, those institutions were the institutions of the West. And by this, they show that they understood that culture is largely the reflection of and a product of the institutions that provide the infrastructure that holds a society together. Their plan then was to infiltrate and capture the cultural institutions that held Western society together. Uh, institutions like law, education, family, arts, churches, economics, journalism, etc. Thus eclipse, uh, assuring the eclipse of Christianity and therefore the West. So they were going to do the long march through the institutions. It was going to be done by the new proletariat that I've already mentioned. It was going to be done by the perverts. It was going to be done by the feminists. It was going to be done by the academians. And it was going to be done by the minorities, all with a view of overthrowing Christianity. Only they didn't say that. What they said instead was all with a view towards overthrowing Western culture. Again, keep in mind, proxy war, proxy war, proxy war. They say they're going after Western culture. They say they're going after white men. But really what their guns are trained at is Jesus Christ. This is why the church needs to be screaming from the mountaintops these very truths. Because if we allow them to be successful in overthrowing the Western cultural context for this ugly, vile, perverted rot they're giving us, then it's going to be even more difficult uh, for people to even be able to begin to grasp um, biblical Christianity. Now, again, that can only be grasped ever by the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, But we understand that if you change a largely Christian context or a significantly Christian context and exchange it, let's say, for a Buddhist, uh, uh, for a, a Shintoist, um, for a Marxist, that makes it even more difficult for people to hear, although with God all things are possible. So with the advent of National Socialism in Germany, things got very uncomfortable for these academics, people like Marcusa, Adorno, Horkheimer, uh, et al. Um, things got hot for them in their think tank uh, with the consequence that they packed up and moved to New York City until the end of World War II. Um, also, it should be said that one of the reasons it got hot is that almost to a man, there are exceptions, but all to, almost to a man, these men of the Frankfurt School were Jews. Um, once it came to America, uh, Columbia University became a hot spot for them. 
Eventually from Columbia, they matriculated out into the university system across the nation. Um, once they came to America, the school picked up new lights and men like psychologist Eric Fromm and sociologist William Reich, and they set out the business of writing and publishing. Now, in order to be true to its Marxist base, the school needed to find a replacement for Marxist proletariat working class um, by which the heavy lifting of revolution could be accomplished. And we've already mentioned uh, who that is. It was the cultural outcasts, those who had been marginalized and who had marginalized themselves in terms of Western Christian culture. In other words, it was the Christ haters who became the new proletariat the ones who would do the long march of the institution. It was the natural enemies of Western Christian culture and who would gain the most by Western culture being overthrown. What, in biblical language, what cultural Marxism was intended to do by making the new proletariat the disaffected was to make the head the tail and the tail the head. The sexual pervert, the bra-burning feminist, and those who perceived themselves as being victims and who nourished that perception and who believed that they were owed because of their long-suffering oppression would be the new man used for the new world cultural Marxist takeover. Of course, egalitarianism became a central part of the technique to overthrow Western Christian culture, and now egalitarianism has moved to equity. Egalitarianism, with its doctrinaire insistence that all cultures are equal, very quickly begins to morph into a kind of cultural relativism where the only sin that obtains is to insist that one culture is better or worse than another culture. This bled into religion, since religion is what bursts culture among varying people groups. If all cultures are equal, stay with me here, if all cultures are equal, it's a short step to affirming that all religions are equal and all gods are equal. Remember, this is key. Because of the definition of culture, the outward manifestation of a people's inward belief, culture is theology externalized. So when you change out culture, you do so by changing out, at the same time, the gods. So books began to be published. Uh, we mentioned already Theodore Adorno's authoritarian personality. Um, and then he basically argued that anybody who belonged to Western culture and reflected Western culture was suffering from a kind of psychological disease that needed to be cured. Another book, Eros and Civilization, fell from the pen of Herbert Marcusa, who was huge in, in getting the word out. Matter of fact, he might be considered, um, after Gramsci, he might be considered the main man. Uh, what Eros and Civilization did is it combined Marx with Freud and it argued that a liberated eros, and of course, again, that's the Greek word for sexuality, will lead to a more satisfactory culture. So this goes back to what Musenberg talked about. We're going to make Western culture stink, because at this point, what Marcuse is trying to do is he's trying to undress America youth, and he succeeds. Uh, Marcuse is largely contributing to the sexual revolution in the 1960s, uh, where everything becomes the phallic, everything becomes focused on sex, and this is the combination of Marx with Freud. In short, once all the high-octane intellectual mumbo-jumbo is interpreted, what Marcuse argues for is lots of sex with lots of people and lots of non-marriage settings, and maybe not even with people. Also, a new social theory arises called critical theory, and that's also constructed with connections to the Frankfurt School. 
Critical theory was dedicated to destructive criticism of the current Western social order with a purpose of fomenting a nonviolent social revolution in America. You have to keep in mind that the critical theory, it's very simple. It just means criticize the hell out of anything Western. You don't even have to offer anything that is a replacement. You just have to criticize, criticize, criticize uh, Western civilization. So this theory, this critical theory, um, also became critical race theory was as well, was constructed by the Frankfurt School. Again, with the end of tearing down Western civilization, but beyond behind that was the end, again, this is a proxy war, was the end of tearing down biblical Christianity. So critical race theory was dedicated to destructive criticism of current Western social order with the purpose of fomenting a non-violent social revolution in America. At its heart, critical theory is dedicated to bringing an end to a perceived oppression of Western culture. Critical theory is not intended to offer a viable alternative since a truly free culture without oppression cannot be envisioned given the existence of Western culture. Um, and this includes this idea of colonialism. Uh, critical theory criticized um, Western colonialism. Evil white man. Uh, recently, an author, um, an academic, oh, I wish I could remember his name right now, but he came out with a book doing lots and lots of research suggesting that colonialism was really a good thing for the third world. And that man was savaged. Uh, that he had to pull his book or his uh, thesis, his paper. Um, people were coming out of the works to denounce him. They tried to cancel cancel culture on him. Um, I don't remember the whole story, but this idea of colonialism uh, is seen as evil because it's part of Western culture and is probably one of the first victims, uh, successful victims of critical theory. As we said, critical theory is not intended to offer a viable alternative since a truly free culture without oppression cannot be envisioned given the existence of Western culture. Critical theory is a negative tool intended only to rapaciously critique the faults of Western culture. Eventually, one begins to be able to connect the dots between the critical theory of Horkheimer and the Frankfurt School and the deconstructionism so prevalent in Western universities today. Critical theory saw the hands of Western oppression in every text and labored to point out how the putative oppressors were advantaged by whatever critical theory was critiquing. Critical theory dismissed any ideas of objectivity. It got rid of the author. There's no objectivity in that which was being critiqued and saw instead of only advantages of power and position of favored groups over the new proletariat. Um, this has led to the disappearance of the author in literature classes in the universities of the West. But even that's significant. Deconstructionism being part of critical theory, it all fits with the idea of attacking Christ because what deconstructionism does in literature is it gets rid of the author. There's no longer an author that you have to ask about original intent. You're no, long, you're no longer asking what did the author mean by this text. The author is non-existent. He's not there anymore. All there is is the person who's reading the text who then brings their own meaning to the text. And this is really an attack on God because God is the ultimate author. So if you're going to get rid of authors, it only stands to reason that you're going to get rid of uh, God as author and then all 
all sub-authoring beneath him. So sub-movements have spun off of this cultural Marxism. Uh, Political correctness is the political speech wing of the movement. Cultural Marxism has created an environment where speaking against the new proletariat is the same kind of crime that speaking against the working class was in the old Soviet Union. Uh, For example, to be charged with sexism, racism, or homophobia homophobia today, and now transphobia, is the equivalent of speaking against the party in Stalin's USSR. Certain speech codes are now implemented, and the refusal to abide by these speech codes labels one as insensitive or intolerant. Another sub-movement besides political correctness is multiculturalism. Since the desired end of cultural Marxism is the death of the West, then the advocacy of all other cultures to be equally esteemed by Westerners serves not to lift these other cultures up, but rather serves to pull Western culture down. Finally, in my estimation, the desire for illegal immigration at the very least serves the ends of cultural Marxism. The best way to end Western culture is by injecting a new non-Western, non-Christian citizenry in the nations shaped by Western culture, shaped by Christianity. This would be consistent with Bertolt Brecht's pithy observation. Some party hack has decreed that the people had lost the government's confidence and could only regain it with redoubled efforts. If that is the case, would it not be simpler if the government simply dissolved the people and elected another? And that's what's happening in America. Illegal immigration serves critical theory, serves cultural Marxism, serves wokeism, serves political correctness, because what's being done is replacement. And the replacement's another whole podcast. But replacement is the idea of replacing the white, white man with the minority, because the minority the pervert, the feminist, the pointy-headed academian, they're the ones who are the revolutionaries. And the counter-revolutionaries, that is the white Christian male, hey, hey, ho, ho, white Christian male's got to go. In many respects, cultural Marxism is to Christianity and Christians what national socialism was to, to the Jewish religion and Jews. Just as German nationalists sought a Third Reich absent of a Jewish presence, So cultural Marxism seeks a new world order absent of any traditional and historic Christian presence. Their success thus far is seen in the beginning quote. In 70 short years, they have, along with other antichrist dogmas, poisoned the West to the point that the Western man is in danger of no longer knowing who he is, a person comprised of body and soul, or where he came from, the hand of his creator God, or where he's going, the kingdom of heaven. Let me say to you what is painfully obvious. The West will not last 70 more years of Gramsci's long march through the institutions. Indeed, I don't know if we could last another decade. But the end of all this, the end where this is all going, is that the Christian white man is either going to be made a drawer of water and a hewer of wood, or he's going to be genocided. It's where Marxism always ends. The oppressed class, the oppressor class, or that is those who are perceived to be the oppressors, are the ones that are wiped out. Uh, Just ask uh, the gulags, just ask Sosna Heatson and read his works. Uh, Eventually, 
if they get the upper hand, uh, it, it, it's going to be Mao. It's going to be uh, Lenin, Stalin all over again. But God sits in heaven. We can be reminded of that. These are truths we need to be aware of. We need to have a certain amount of realism. But at the same time, we need to remain optimistic because despite all this being true that has just been mentioned, God sits in heaven and laughs. And the cultural Marxists will not get the last word. Um, the Tower of Babel went on for who knows how long before God finally said enough. I'm going to go down and take a look at what's going on. Then he dispersed them. And that will happen here. The Soviet Union lasted 70 years um, before it was dispersed. Mao's China started in 49. Um, it's now looking at uh, nigh on to 75 years, uh, but it'll be dispersed. And the threat of cultural Marxism will be dispersed in God's good time. However, our responsibility is to be faithful and to start opening our eyes to some of these things, to stop turning on the boob tube, the television, or uh, the video game, or whatever it is, and start investing ourselves in understanding and knowing the times. And part of what it means to know the times of biblical Christians is to understand what this cultural Marxism intends to do. Now, again, this is a big subject. I've taken 15 to 20 years in order to get my head around it, and I still have miles to go before I sleep. But we can begin to get an idea of what this is and the danger to us and the insult it is to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and start resolving it's not going to happen in my family, it's not going to happen in my life, and it's not going to happen in my church. Well, I got on a riff there. Um, I appreciate your listening. Matt and I are thankful for your presence here. Pass this on to somebody else. Um, let them laugh at my ranting too. God bless you and Godspeed. Thank you for joining us this week. Look for us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor FM. Don't you know she could bring a good feeling ain't having such a long time?